Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're going to have to have enough lead time to plan and not having you know, anything definitive. And we have, you know, about six weeks before CPS goes back to school. But like we have charter um, schools that are going back in August. Um, We need to be able to plan effectively. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. With us today is the leadership tandem of the Chicago Teachers Union, President Jesse Sharkey and Vice President Stacey Davis-Gates. Thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Fran. The mayor hasn't even come out with her framework yet on how to even engage in the discussion of how and when to open schools and in what way. And yet you are saying, stop, we can't do this safely. Why are you jumping the gun this way? What have you concluded that she doesn't already know? Let let me have a stab at that. There's a tremendous amount of anxiety in the city, and and we just thought it was time that we say something to address the set of things that everyone's thinking about and everyone's worried about. Namely, that in two-thirds of the states across the country, coronavirus is spiking, we don't have uh, any commitment for resources that would make the beginning of school safe. Uh, there's no definite plan that's been articulated yet. And we just felt like it was important to break the silence coming from school leadership. And we, we consider ourselves very connected to public school. Both Stacey and I have our children in the public schools. And so, you know, we just felt like it was time to say something in public um, to, to address the concerns about safety in the next school year. Stacy, what do you think? The mayor is going to make an announcement on Friday. What will she say is your understanding? Well, look, let me back into that um, question. Listen, you know, there's one thing that I do recognize um, in this moment with respect to the educators in our school communities and the families that depend on them. We're going to have to have enough lead time to plan. And not having, you know, anything definitive. And we have, you know, about six weeks before CPS goes back to school. But like we have charter um, schools that are going back in August. Um, We need to be able to plan effectively. If anything, we understood um, about remote learning is that we needed more time to provide the proper infrastructure, especially for early childhood education educators especially for our special education space, um, our clinician space, our, you know, bilingual space. Those are spaces that will benefit, um, should be benefiting from enhanced um, development and spend creating curriculum and, and methodology around instruction. 
that being said, um, you know, we got a long ways to go in Chicago public schools and a short time to get there. The answer that our educators put forth yesterday um, to Chicago is that we need to take some pressure off, create spaces that make sense and are as safe as they can be, but don't do so with an artificial deadline of the Tuesday after Labor Day. Let's figure out how to keep people safe. Now, you've said that the mayor is going to talk about some kind of a hybrid plan. What is your understanding of what she's going to say, Stacey? Um, our understanding is that, um, you know, our mayor wants in-person schooling. Um, and, you know, in order to do so, I think that, you know, they're offering up, you know, the ability for us to, um, and, and I'm reading this in the newspaper like everyone else is reading this in a newspaper, um, that they're going to offer up something that looks um, similar to what's happening in New York City. And so that involves what? A hybrid of remote and regular? You talked about 11th and 12th graders doing remote. What is exactly is she planning to do? Well, we don't have those details exclusively yet, Fran. Um, all we can share are two things. We've been talking to CPS um, for a while now. Um, we've been talking to them, you know, on a very regular basis since we went into remote learning. Um, and, you know, we read things in the newspaper just like everyone else reads in the newspaper. Our um, frustration, I think, and our anxiety at this point is that we don't have a plan to negotiate, a plan to react to, a plan to make better. Um, we have ideas, and the ideas that we've heard thus far include um, a blended experience, um, a hybrid experience, um, you know, it is very short on details at this point. Um, Immune-compromised staff, immune-compromised students, those are things that are very important to us. We're concerned about um, our members and students who live in households um, that are multi-generational. We know, um, based on what the governor told us on uh, Wednesday, that the demographic that is growing in infections and illness are school-age children. Right. And that's why they're talking about 11th and 12th graders doing remote learning, because they are the really the ones in danger. They are the one who are engaging in risky behavior. Right. Well, Brent, I, I think it's a little bit less that I, I think that there's a logic to a hybrid model. This is it's, I mean, it's not a crazy idea. Right. Which is that this is a virus that's passed along when people are in close physical proximity talking and discussing things. That's, that's a lot of what we do at school, right? So, you know, you got to figure out a way to have fewer people in the building. Uh, it, it starts with that. And, and so, you know, a lot of the, uh, of, the, of the idea behind hybrid is that you've got students alternating between in-person and remote learning, which means that at any given time, you can have fewer people in, in a classroom. Um, and, and so that's part of it as well. But I, but I do think that the, the, the transmission numbers are showing that actually, you know, people between the ages of 10 and 19, that's one of the fastest growing groups. Um, and maybe it's a little faster among sort of bar age people, but um, if you pardon the expression. But, but, the, but the bottom line is that like it's not just about 
um, you know, can young people get it? Young people can. They had the shot sports camps in, in Lake Zurich. Um, you know, there have been a number of cases along those lines. Um, it, it's really about whether or not we can keep school safe. And so it's not that there isn't a logic to, to what CPS is saying or what New York is saying there is. It's just that, like, the time right now, um, we don't yet have a clear enough criteria and the way it looks in the country right now, we don't think the, the conditions are right to, to start back in person. Um, we should really be starting back remotely. Do you feel strongly enough about this issue? Do your members feel strongly enough about the safety risk that they are willing to go back out on strike as they did last year? I think this is going to depend a lot on what things look like and whether we can get um, whether we can get clear answers and whether there's responsiveness. You know, Stacy mentioned resources. Let me just give an example of that. A typical Chicago public school still has a nurse only one day a week. Um, there should be health care personnel around our school. You know, if we're going to be screening people in the morning and we're going to be looking at symptoms, there should be people who have some training and some ability to do that. Um, it, you know, there needs to be a plan for cleaning our schools. We've been struggling with facilities that aren't properly cleaned ever since they privatized the, the custodial services in our schools. And so are they going to be able to get a plan for keeping them sanitary and disinfecting schools in, in the way that they should? Um, you know, can we, can we come through, you know, can we get social distancing? If the answer to all those questions is no, then I, I think, you know, it's not reasonable to expect you know, for parents or students and for staff. And this isn't just this isn't just about what we're, we're uh, members of the union are at. This is where everyone who goes into the school building needs to worry about whether or not we're being asked to go into a burning building. Because if we are, um, then that's where I think you get in a situation where people could refuse to go. You know, we're away from that yet. You know, we view this as our... our trying to put out some some clarity on our part of, about some you know standards and things that we need to be safe and let's see how the conversation develops is it possible stacy that your members feel that strongly about the risk that they would refuse to go which wouldn't get be involved again in in some sort of a strike again is that possible friend you know here's the thing about what we've been experiencing since march Donald Trump is an unmitigated disaster. And so, like many Americans, our members believe that when Donald Trump says right, we say left. He says go, we say stop. That's the only way, you know, I think many of us have survived this pandemic. That being being said, we're going to have to be very clear about naming what this is. This is a pandemic. Three million Americans, over three million Americans, have been infected with this. Um, We've had members who have seen parents die, partners die, other family members die. Um, We've even had students, you know, infected with it. Um, The tragedy um, with the young lady and her child um, who graduated from Dunbar High School. Those are things that are impactful to our members. Um, and, and these things that we've been talking about for the last decade, like, and we're at a tipping point at this moment. And our tipping point is very clear, is that we need more in our school communities 
to just address the trauma of the, you know, weekly casualty figures from Chicago gun violence. And now we have a pandemic on top of that. Our school communities in this moment, they're not equipped to meet the challenge of COVID. And by saying virtual, we are saying we still want to engage with our students. By saying virtual, we're saying give ourselves some time to figure out how to do this as safely as possible. And I think that it would be a benefit to our mayor, to CPS, to see us as collaborators, to see our parents as stakeholders. Heck, we even had students who were essential workers in um, um, this spring, right? These are people who deserve a voice um, in this process. And if we can't center that Donald Trump and Betsy DeVos are the blithering idiots in this moment and that we have to be the reasonable adults to protect children, um, I, I'm, I'll be at a loss. You know, I expect us to rise to the occasion, in fact. But if the mayor says, I want kids back in school, I'm going to do it safely, what will your members do and will you lead them in some kind of a refusal to work kind of job action? Fran, I am hopeful that our mayor will be as strong to Donald Trump and anti-Donald Trump rhetoric as she has been all along and that she understands that the educator voice, that the parent voice is paramount in this moment. These six weeks should be spent perfecting as best as we can to create remote learning infrastructure that works the best, outfitting every CPS family with enough devices and broadband to ensure their ability to connect, figuring out how we prevent mass evictions throughout the city, because as you know, on August 1, um, the evictions will um, likely start up again. Many of our families will be caught in those crosshairs. We're going to need more support, more collaboration, not more fighting, not less collaboration. We're going to have to figure this one out. We are prepared to be the adults in the room. We are prepared to lead with the coalition of parents and community groups we've always led with. We need their partnership in this moment. Jesse, I'm told you did an informal poll of your members, and I think, what was it, 40% said they were willing to go out on strike again over this? Well, what 40% said was that they didn't feel confident coming back in, in the current conditions. Um, we, um, and uh, the other thing I would say is that we had a, um, a telephone call with our, our members and we had higher participation talking about the situation coming up this fall than we had in the call that we did right before the strike. So there's a tremendous amount of member interest and anxiety about the situation. Uh, and there's, there's clearly a desire on our part of our members to engage in a campaign, to be out talking to parents, to be talking in the media like we're doing now. And, you know, our members do view this as a, a life and death matter. Um, but, you know, I, I think what Stacy said deserves underscoring. We're not anxious to keep the schools closed. We, we, want, we want school. Uh, we're the people who value this institution. And we're very conscious that schools provide services to students, meals, um, you know, if parents are going to work, it's a place for their children to be that's safe and nurturing. Um, and parents need that. We're, we're aware of that. Um, 
parents don't want to send their kids to an unsafe school any more than we want to go into one. And, you know, we know that it's not going to be perfectly safe. We're talking about mitigating risk. But we're also talking about a country that when 3,000 people died on 9-11, put $250 billion a year into fighting terrorism. Well, 135,000 people have died of COVID-19. And we want to know where are their resources uh, in order to be able to test where are the resources in order to be able to hire nurses, uh, keep our schools clean? These, these are really, I think, important questions. And, um, you know, we're not the ones who control those things. Those resources are controlled by the political leadership, be it in the Senate, which, has, which is um, uh, not acting on a relief package, um, be that at the city level. And so, you know, I, I think that our position is pretty clear. We're in favor of school. We want school. Um, and, and it needs to be safe. But if she insists on doing it without the safety precautions that you demand, what happens? You know, we're going to have to see. I, I think you've heard us. I, I think you've heard us uh, <laughs> answer this question a lot. I, you know, it's I think one of the things, Fran, is that it, you have to, we have to get our heads around the fact that this is not really just about September. This is about oh, the whole next period of time. It could be a year or more. Uh, I don't know when there's going to be a vaccine or even if there's going to be a vaccine, but we're going to be living with the COVID-19 for a long time. And, and that means that um, some things that we're thinking through now, um, which we better get right. And one of them is a clear criteria, not just for going back, but like at such point that we do go back and we say, okay, it's okay to go back. We might have to go, we might have to switch from in-person learning back to remote learning when there's a spike or an outbreak. And we might have to do that multiple times. That is back and forth. So that's why it's important that we get this right. And, you know, you know, is there likely to be kind of conflict between us and the mayor as like a, uh, you know, it's, one of the uh, features of the narrative about in politics in the city of Chicago. And you're right, that's not likely to go away. But I, I think that the important thing here is that we, we share some interests, which is that we, sh we share the interest in schools working. They're important for our society. We believe in, in schools being nurturing, resourced, safe places. Um, I think the city administration does as well. And we have hope that it won't come to all that. Um, if it does, obviously, we're going to keep advocating and do what we do. Um, but I, but I, I think the stakes in this are really high, and it's important for us not just to view it uh, only in terms of uh, you know, the possibility for conflict, what's going to happen between now and September, but really it's, it's setting us up for a whole pattern of things that are, are likely to be important, um, you know, may, maybe for a year or more. Stacey, how can, say, how can you say, though, we should do remote learning when remote learning has been an unmitigated disaster? I mean, literally, well, kids I, have lost months, if not a year of time. So let, let me say this, Fran. Number one, schools never closed. The educators around uh, the city, um, the state, they kept it moving. Um, they moved from the whiteboards in their um, physical brick and mortar classrooms into like a Zoom room. And I've seen some extraordinary work by a lot of different people who were also dealing with the pandemic as well. That being said, 
um, this whole metric that is artificial and subjective in terms of what kids have lost and what they haven't learned, I think is absolutely insulting to a whole swath of individuals who, number one, have survived a pandemic, something that is deadly, something that has um, severely damaged um, communities um, throughout our city that are majority Black, that are majority Latinx, that are majority immigrant. Um, we have high school students whose parents lost their jobs and they became the main breadwinners in their households. Um, so there was a lot of learning during this time. That being said, the, the, the gap in technology and digital acquisition in many of our communities was there prior to COVID. And we have been very clear for the last 10 years, Fran, that the issues of um, the inequities in our school communities, that they have to be resolved. We spent 11 days on the strike line this year, or excuse me, in 2019. We spent time in 2012. We spent time in 2016. Our charter um, siblings, they spent time um, four times in 2019 and 2018. That being said, we have to move away from this concept that we can figure it out on the fly. We have to value and plan for the outcomes we need. And that being said, like we can't just have whole press conferences with, you know, a billionaire and say that we can get this done and not get it done. We have to also be planful with actual families and the neighborhoods and figure it out. Again, calling for virtual in July, right, means that we can spend time with our special education educators, our families, our ELL students, their families, early childhood educators, those families, and figure out how to do it better. We are centering the fact that the health and safety of the stakeholders in the Chicago public schools means more, right, than anything. So if we can make that a priority, we can spend the rest of the time figuring out how to do this better. That being said, Fran, I'm not a proponent or a fan of mayoral control. But in this very moment, we have a mayor who controls the schools, public safety, public health, public transportation. All of those things impact what is happening in our school communities. There should be zero interruption or gaps in a plan that keep people safe. Many of our students ride the CTA. We've yet to see a plan about how um, our students get on buses. Are they gonna be the larger buses? Um, are there gonna be buses only for students? How do you account for that safety? Will there be more train cars? Um, lots of questions, few answers, but the specter of death and illness, that's the one constant. And so for us in this moment, we have to draw a line in the sand. And we're saying that right now in this moment, based on all of the things that we do not have in our school communities, the, 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 the questions that have not been answered, we are very clear that we cannot go back the Tuesday after Labor Day. Now, will that change? Should that change? We're gonna need a lot of resources. We're gonna, a lot of, we're gonna need a lot of community and parent voice. 
We're going to need what a lot exactly of time. Do you need? What do you need? What is your bottom line about what you need to feel safe? Take them off um, for me. There's not a bottom line, Fran. We are reimagining everything about school from the time we come into the school building and high schools, how we have passing period, how we provide lunch time for students. Like this is no easy plan. That's the entire point, Fran. You can't figure this out in six weeks and keep people safe. You can't. It's impossible. And so we have to acknowledge that impossibility and create systems of safety that we will endure for some time because COVID isn't going away quickly, but at the same time, provide proper infrastructure for remote learning and get, get a plan together that best meets the needs of all of our students and their mortality, their families. Jesse, why can kids meet? Why can't we have classes with teachers outside to begin school? What's wrong with that? Jesse? There's nothing wrong with that, Fran. It's just going to require a plan. It's, it's going to require a plan. And in the next six weeks, we're going to have to chew gum and walk at the same time. We're going to have to figure out how to make the actual brick and mortar school um, safe. And we're also going to have to figure out how to make remote learning work, especially for black kids, especially for Latinx kids. We're going to have to also figure out how to make sure kids have shelter. Again, I cannot underscore this enough. August 1, evictions go back out there. Our families are going to be in peril. I cannot say enough how we need an extension of unemployment benefits. We're going to need universal basic income. We're not just dealing with the pandemic of COVID. We're also dealing with the pandemic in Chicago of, 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 of racism and institutionalized white supremacy and how we are seeing it rise up um, across the country globally. We're also dealing with the economic depression as well. Our federal government has failed to meet the needs of the people in this city and across this country. We're gonna have to have some real discussion about how local spaces step up, how our state space steps up in this moment. Real people, real consequences. And if schools are the last social safety net in too many of our communities, then we're going to have to resource our school communities to meet that need. And today we don't have that. Before we go, let me ask you, are you concerned that the uh, state budget crisis caused by the pandemic will make it difficult for CPS to fund the contract they agreed to that ended the strike? Well, our understanding, I just, I was off for a minute. I, we just, just had a meeting with some CPS officials yesterday about their budget outlook. Um, my understanding is that as of right now, they have the ability to, to run a basic school budget. Um, they might have to move some funding from capital into doing things for COVID-19. I, I think they can do that. A bigger concern is whether or not they really have the money to properly respond to the COVID-19 epidemic. And you know, they, they really do need help from the federal government. That's what the federal government is for. CPS doesn't have the ability to run deficits the way the federal government does. Um, and, and, and so we are counting on some support for the, for the schools. Right. But you were, they were counting on money 
in increasing from Springfield, and that is not happening. Fran, we've been beating this drum for a while. Um, at the same time, our schools need more money. You see the extension of TIF districts in the city. You see the creation of new TIF districts in the city. Like, let's let's keep it 100 here. If we are concerned about opening our schools, if the mayor is concerned about the safety of our students, then we will also rethink how we are doing finance in this city. Look, our mayor got a casino, a, a, a feat that no one else um, and that position has been able to do. I am quite sure our mayor can help us figure out how to fully fund our schools, how to make sure we keep our schools safe during COVID, and how to make sure that we meet the demands of that contract. A contract, by the way, that will put a nurse in every school, a social worker in every school, restorative justice coordinators in every school by the end of the contract. And police officers in schools, that contract is up for a vote next month, $33 million. Meanwhile, as more and more LSCs consider this and maybe uh, take the police officers out of the schools, what should happen there and what will happen there as far as the LSCs go? It's not a, it's not a smart way to spend $33 million. Um, you know, armed and uniformed police officers aren't actually doing what we need to do to address students at risk and who are in crisis. Um, you know, the bigger crisis is that, you know, a lot of our families in the city of Chicago um, have, you know, bad health outcomes, have, you know, high rates of diabetes, have um, uh, asthma, etc. You know, we spend more than twice as much every year on uh, police officers than we do on sports. Uh, so, you know, for 350,000 people, coaches, equipment, stipends, all kinds of physical activity, um, you know, that's less than half of what we spend on police officers. We could we could do more of that money in terms of, um, you know, whether that is crisis intervention specialists, whether it's counselors and social workers, et cetera. Should the schools really that vote to uh, eliminate police officers be given the money to spend elsewhere because they're not right now? Yeah, I, I think if they were, I think you'd see a very different outcome on those votes. Yeah. All right, both of you, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to watch closely. The parents are anxious, as they should be, and so is the rest of Chicago. We wish you both luck, and we'll see you all next week. Thank you.